In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to turn your elephant into a child. Jesus wants to turn your elephant into a child. That is not a reference to any of our secret Alabama fans in our midst. I don't mean to bring anybody out of hiding, but that's what I mean to say today. Jesus wants to and can turn your elephant into a child. Now, what do I mean by that? Jonathan Haidt wrote a fascinating book a few years ago called The Righteous Mind, and in that book, he described our minds as being like an elephant and a rider. The elephant is the like, unconscious part of our mind. It's the part of our mind that we're not in full control of and not even aware of. And the rider is our conscious mind. It's the part of ourselves, the part of our mind that we are aware of, that we are conscious of, our thinking part of our, part of our mind. And it's a really great metaphor, because if you think about someone riding an elephant, the rider is to some extent in charge of where the elephant goes, and to some extent not in charge of where the elephant goes. And the rider had better be pretty well trained in the riding of elephants, and ought to have a lot of respect for all the power that it sits on top of, and... When your business is riding elephants, it's not, are you going to lose control of the elephant? It's, when are you going to lose control of the elephant, and what are you going to do when that happens? And he develops that metaphor, and he says, what does our elephant want? What does our elephant desire? And he says, what our elephant desires is prestige. Our elephant doesn't want happiness. Our elephant doesn't necessarily want meaning. Our elephant, with the whole force of kind of evolutionary biology behind it, the whole force of our elephant wants prestige, to be recognized as being competent or powerful or good by our peers, by our social network, by those who know us. And that desire for prestige, if it's not somehow directed may take us down a blind alley. It may take us where we do not want to go, ultimately, or where we need to go, ultimately. I want you to think about that in terms of the ironic story that we have from the Gospels that I just read, in which the the disciples are following Jesus through Galilee, but they're actually on the wrong path. They're following Jesus, but they're actually on the wrong way. And that hits home for me. Right, because I'm a professional Christian. Every week I get up here and wear this stuff and preach the gospel, and yet a lot of times I'm on the wrong path. I'm actually wandering, although it might not look like I'm wandering. I am, in fact, wandering. My elephant has gone down a blind alley. The disciples are headed down the wrong path, and so Jesus redirects them. When they get to the house at Capernaum, he sits down with them. Now, I don't want to skip over that because it's a beautiful little detail. He sits down with them and he teaches them. He is our patient teacher. 
and our patient guide and our patient Savior. You know, for nine chapters, he's been instructing them by word and deed in the strange logic of the kingdom of God. And yet they still don't get it. But again, he sits down with them and he starts again and he instructs and he teaches sitting on the ground with them, sitting on a chair with them and instructing them. And when he does that, he says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. We noticed in our staff meeting this week that, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't critique the desire to be first? He doesn't critique their desire to be first. In fact, he assumes it and starts working with it. That's actually really good news. It means that Jesus doesn't want Stepford disciples. Jesus doesn't want a bunch of disciples who are just so removed from the melee of the world that they kind of float above it in disinterested, zen-like state. No, Jesus wants disciples with fire in their bellies. Jesus wants disciples who hunger and thirst for righteousness, like he says in the Beatitudes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness will be added unto you. Desire is a big part of what the human experience is. There is no knowledge or a human consciousness without desire. It's just that we desire the wrong thing. Our desire for greatness is not the desire that Jesus means to create in us by turning our elephant into a child. He changes our desire for greatness by instead of seeking our own greatness, by seeking the greatness of the kingdom of God. Now, how does he do that? He gives the teaching. He says, actually, as disciples of mine, as people who are in the kingdom of God, what we do now is that we strive for humility and we strive for service. We strive for humility and we strive for service and not kind of like fake, false humility. I'm really into this Ted Turner quote. I said it maybe, I maybe have to retire it now. But Ted Turner said one time, if I had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. <laughs> it's not really what we're thinking about. It's not a false humility. It's not even thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. It's freedom from what C.S. Lewis said, the unsmiling focus on ourselves. Isn't that an evocative phrase? The unsmiling focus on ourselves. It's freedom from our self-obsession. And not just freed, but freed for a purpose. Freed in order to serve, to be less inwardly focused so we can be more outwardly focused and live in a life of humble service. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He then has an enacted or what we call like a living parable. That's what he does next by putting the child in the middle of this conversation. Now you might be wondering, where did this kid come from? You wouldn't be alone. Scholars have guessed that maybe since they're likely in the home of Peter's mother-in-law, who Jesus healed earlier in Capernaum, that this is one of Peter's kids, but we don't actually know. Jesus puts a child in the midst of them and says, when you receive one such as these, you have received me. When you receive one of these little ones, you have received me. Now, what does he mean by that? There's at least two meanings of that. 
The first is that Jesus is creating a new society. Jesus is creating the church, and in the church, children and the vulnerable are at the center of what that church does, at the center of that society. Children and the vulnerable are at the center of this new society of Jesus. That it is, it is what they focus on. It is what we do. That's why we spend so much effort and resources in our Christian formation program, right? Our youth program and our catechesis of the Good Shepherd program. It's why we're fully invested in the Sorryville Day Camp and Learning Program and the Alabama Prison Birth Project and other projects because we've been told by our Lord and we've found the truth of His command that the church must be about the lives of children and the vulnerable, building them up as gifts of God both inside the church and outside the church. That's what the church does. Builds up the life of children and stewards them as gifts from God inside the church and outside the church. It's the key to what the church should do, and it's actually the key to the church's life, because Jesus says, actually, when we do that, we meet Him. We welcome Him. Our God is so good that He sent Christ to die for our sins, but also continually sends Christ in the form of these children, in the form of these little people, messengers over and over and over again to beckon us to the kingdom of God. One gets sent and we miss it and another comes and then another comes and then another comes. An unending array of messengers sent to bring us into the life of the kingdom. I realize that that's been happening in my life uh, and our life over the last few years. Um, You may remember that we were part of a coalition of churches a number of years ago that was involved in the creating of a health clinic in Haiti called L'Espoir Timoun. It was a very successful coalition of churches, of which Holy Trinity took a big part. And it was a huge success in that it created a nonprofit, a stateside nonprofit called Light from Light, that now funds and supports the ongoing life of the clinic. There's a full time uh, doctor at the clinic, local staff. It's a hub of health, it's a hub of education. It's an amazing thing, and it's an, it's an instance of the church doing a really good, sustainable job of creating something. And a part of Light from Light's ministry, um, they did a child sponsorship program, which Emily and I took part in a few years ago. So for a very small amount of money, we sponsor one of the children's education who are are associated with the life of the clinic down in L'Espoir Timoun, Haiti. And I don't think we thought that much about it when we were doing it. But upon reflection, what I realized is that every month we see the life of this child in our budget. Every month. We see this life of this child in our budget. We think about this child. What a spiritual blessing that is for us. Jesus is at work in it. Because I think about, man, when my kids came around, I was so filled with gratitude and joy for the first week, and then I got really tired. But it came back. Um, But when this child in Haiti was born, her parents felt the exact same way. And now we get to share in the stewarding of that life, in the honoring of that life, in, in the thanking God for it. And I see how what Jesus said is absolutely true. He sends these messengers in order to stay with his church, in order to keep me in the life of his church. When you welcome one of these, you welcome me. There's another message that's a part of that, which is that we are to learn in the welcoming of children that they are what we are meant to be. that they are what we are meant to be, that being a disciple of Jesus means to enter into a childlike dependence upon God. Children are dependent upon other people for almost everything. Children are not exactly innocent. 
They're not exactly innocent. But they are dependent upon other people, and they seem comparatively less interested in the game of prestige than you and I do. They want a toy that another kid has, but they seem comparatively less interested in the unending game of who's the greatest that you and I spend a lot of our time playing. Their elephants are not yet fully grown. And that is what we're meant to be. That is the process by which Jesus transforms our elephant into a child to realize that we are dependent upon God for everything. The question of who is greatest has already been settled and therefore does not need to be fought over and over and over again. And friends, we have to immediately think about the cross because it looms over this passage. Think about when Jesus went to the cross, it was the ultimate invulnerability, the ultimate independence. Jesus says, not my will, but your will, when he went to the hardwood of the cross and to die on that cross trusting in God was complete dependence on the promise of God to bring him back to life, to resurrect him. He is our example of the dependence upon God that the kingdom of God is built upon. So, beloved, this morning, bring your elephant to the altar. Bring your elephant to God in your private prayer in the coming week. Where is God sending you a messenger in the form of a little person? Where is the place in your life where you have white-knuckled control, which may be the least happy or fulfilling place of your life, where the dependence of God could be saving, where dependence upon God could be salvation? What is God doing in your life to usher you into the kingdom of God? Thanks be to God.